Hello and welcome to the Cicada Lounge podcast. My name's Jordan Foster and today we're talking with Justine Evans. Now, Justine, um, she is a canopy specialist filmmaker. So she's a camera woman and essentially she's she can climb like the tallest trees and, and perch herself on the highest cliff edges and things like that and get these amazing shots. So she's certainly hasn't got a fear of heights unlike me but uh yeah i've, I've wanted to uh, get justine on the show for quite some time now just because of the u- new unique perspective that a canopy specialist can have and she's worked on all kinds of different uh, productions like um life and and planet earth and uh, the frozen planet as well as well as the lost land uh, series which i'm such a fan of uh inclu- including dark uh, we we go into that a little bit as well and we also talk a little bit about what she's working on right now, which is really, really, really interesting. But yeah, let's uh, let's just jump into it. I bet. <laughs> yeah. What happened in the tropics? Um, I was on a um, I was on a job in Borneo, and um, I was doing uh, canopy filming, which mm. is my specialisations. And yeah, yeah. Um, over quite a long period of time. Um, Probably, I think it was about six week shoot. Hmm. And, um, you know, I was doing a lot of canopy work. So going out before dawn, climbing, and often hauling my own kit up to the top of the tree and, hmm. and spending all day up there and then coming down at the end after, you know, just as it was getting dark. And I just simply wasn't drinking enough water. I mean, partly the logistics of it that, um, you know, carrying enough water for the day. And you perspire a lot in the tropics anyway, yeah. and um, and 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 then so so it was over a long period of time, just being de- slightly dehydrated, or probably actually more than slightly dehydrated, very dehydrated over a long period of time. I got a massive kidney infection. Ooh, uh, started, wow! Started as a urinary infection and went straight into the kidney. But it was it, fortunately it was just as I came home. Yeah. And so I was I was in London and I I was convinced I had malaria, so I went to the hospital for tropical diseases. Um, and they tested me and said, no, you don't, you don't have malaria. Um, but they kept me in cause I had a huge fever. And then they, they said, you know, you've got a massive kidney infection. I nearly lost my kidney, uh, as a result. Wow. And, um, uh, yeah, let's let this be a warning to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they yeah. said to me, you can't afford to ever let this happen again. So since then I'm actually quite paranoid about like, if I went out now just to go to the shops, I'd take a bottle of water with me. Yeah. You know, it's that mentality, yeah. like I might be out longer than I think and I need to drink water. So um yeah, look, yeah. look, I've even got one next to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Oh well that's yeah, a... it's, it's, it's a habit. It's a bit like flossing. Yeah, yeah. Well that's a warning to me then. Um I've no idea what I've got right now, but your ankle i really hope that gets better we haven't even gone into the proper podcast yet it's just a warm-up um <laughs> oh, yeah. i'm done now <laughs> oh, fair enough <laughs> it's um uh, just a couple of formalities pretty much before we before we begin mm. um you have i got your permission to record this uh podcast consider this a um what would you call it a release form of, as such <laughs> yes you do have my permission to record it Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, also to let you know in the future, uh, I've got ambitions to monetize the podcast as well. If that opportunity ever arises, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot. 
It's uh, no, nice to be here. Yeah, and, yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I have enjoyed. Um, I mean, I've, I've listened to George and uh, Erica, oh, yeah. um, and enjoyed them very much. Cool. Uh, thank you. Um, Good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Great. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm glad they're entertaining. It seems to be just by chance that I'm working my way around the the whole crew that was in the expedition films. <laughs> yes. So I'm talking to Gordon and Steve's um, people as we speak. <laughs> oh, they have people, don't they? They have yeah. a spiral. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they've got their own their own people. I'm afraid. Yes. But, um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they both be very entertaining and have a lot of tales to tell. Yeah. 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 Well, it's. Uh, I think Steve is just gone to some kind of shoot. I think he's gone out of country to shoot something. And that's why he hasn't been able to do anything for the last few weeks or so. Yeah. 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 Um, but, yes, yeah. I, I guess, you know, yeah, he's, uh, and I know he's planning to do a major thing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it was, there were, his people were pretty hush hush about it. But, um, yeah. Yeah. No, Justine, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah. I think it was um, like I was bumping into all of you people like, George and Gordon Buchanan and yourself from all the way back in the days of like the big cat diaries and then working towards the, um, um, the different really large, uh, BBC, uh, productions like, you know, secret life of such and such mm. and, mm. um, life blue planet and all those kind of things and keep bumping into, uh, well-known camera operators and then just finding like, like finding out more information you turned up um gordon buchanan uh turned up and it seems like the a lot of these podcasts tend to aim for the attenboroughs of of um of the of the natural world and presenting mm. but i really like the the nuances that you find when you actually talk to the people that film the animals themselves like yes. i bet you've got so many different stories about really hairy situations you've had in the canopies yeah um well i've got yeah so i mean because by nature of doing the camera work you're always there you're always in the field um yeah. and so it, it just accumulates so many experiences which I, I guess is why all of us have chosen that path hmm. and some have crossed over into more presenting but it but it started with this you know desire to want to be in the natural world recording and witnessing and being amongst it yeah and um i remember i i mean i went to film school in um bournemouth and um when i went to film school there weren't any pacific wildlife training film courses it it was all very general mostly uh fiction you know drama based mm. um and um i i just um i just remember thinking oh well i can you know i could choose i could choose lots of different directions you know when you get to film school i mean i always I think, you know, when I advise people now, I think it helps if, um, if you know exactly what you want to do when, before you get there. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking I want to do camera work because I mean, mainly because not so much because of the technical aspect of photography, but much more because I knew it would be that if I got into natural history filmmaking, I would always have to be there, you know, right. and, and because it's the essential even above sound, it's the essential thing. Yeah. You always have to be there. And um, 
I just thought, well, that will that will mean I'm always out there amongst it. And um, yeah, that that was a big deciding factor for me, really. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's um that's really interesting. I think this is something actually that me and you share a little bit of as well. I studied filmmaking and visual media for the longest time. I studied at DMU and the Midlands as well. Mm. And I instead of no. sorry, Where, did you go to Salford? Is that no, you, a, a De, no. De Montfort University in Leicester? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, mainly got into uh like making small advertisements for local businesses and things like that and then i've tried my hand at um making like asking a hedgehog rescue for example do you want a small promotional film just to show off that you're a hedgehog rescue what do you do and uh, to get more people you know involved in building hedgehog highways and things like that and the amount of unpredictability i discovered with filming animals is uh, it's ridiculous <laughs> so i imagine there's a hell of a lot of patience involved with what you do i imagine patience is uh, a real a real virtue with uh, filming animals um yes yes a lot of people ask that question about patience i think it's um it it's it's it does require patience yeah. well actually above patience actually just it requires a desire to be there and want to be there and want to wait. Hmm. So rather than being a sort of forced thing, I have to be patient. It's that you enjoy the experience of being there and waiting for long periods. <laughs> Oops, sorry. That's my crutch falling. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's more about that, but it's also knowing when to stop being patient or stop waiting. Yeah. I mean, you're in situations where clearly you could be there for weeks or months and nothing, the thing you want to do probably won't happen. It's very, very unlikely to happen because it's just the wrong scenario, especially in situations where there's a lot of human disruption and animals are extremely nervous. Mm. You know, like there's, if there's a lot of hunting, poaching or um, that sort of conflict going on and animals have just learnt to stay out of the way and, and, you know, I think it's it's so often the case that you're not going to trick them into not knowing you're there. Mm. That it's more relying on. I mean, talking more about sort of mammals here, but it's more relying on them accepting you with so, so many animals having an enhanced sense of hearing and smell and mm. and and so on. That that you usually reliant on the fact that they can sense you. They might know not know exactly where you are, but they probably know you're around but they don't mind rather right. than thinking you're really tricking them and they don't know at all. Um, I mean, there are cases where you could possibly pull that off, but it's a lot harder. And, and I found myself in those situations. I mean, with the expeditions, I found myself in those situations because we'd gone into areas which weren't national parks, they weren't set up as fully protected areas. Hmm. And actually sometimes it transpired that they were really hunted and really um, full of people just, yeah harvesting the the wildlife there and it was just so hard to see things in in those circumstances Mm. um so it's it's just knowing it's just knowing when 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 to wait and when to be patient and when when to stop yeah and think no we're just spending money here and we're not gonna we're not going to get what we're (laughs) after yeah oh fair enough what what's uh, a good example of one of these animal uh, mammal species that uh require a lot of trust um, 
Well, I mean, there's so many, but um, I mean, there's an example, for example, um, because you you have been an avid watcher of the Expedition series, you'll know the Hmm. In the Dark when I was filming the Jaguar on the beach. That was, oh, that made, I I can't even imagine what you were thinking when that thing walked past your hide, but my, I was, yeah, I was literally thinking that it was going to stop pouring at the tent Oh, it was ridiculous. Oh, it was, yeah, there was so much tension in that, those few shots. That was crazy. It's amazing footage, really amazing footage. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. That is really well, tense. That was the case. <laughs> I, I think that was an example of, um, you know, Jaguars have been notoriously difficult to, to film in, yeah. in some parts of the world. And then, and, and then, um, and in some other places, actually quite easy, mm. yeah, relatively speaking. And um, I mean, in in um, in where we were in Costa Rica, in a place called Tortuguero, um, th- th- I think it was um, a case of the jaguars there, and that male in particular. There's no way he didn't know, didn't smell me, mm. um, and I and I think he just didn't care. He wasn't <laughs> interested. <laughs> he that just is a was, hairy moment. It sort of was dairy because of the unknown of something walking so close and then suddenly I, I was more afraid of, of, of him getting a fright, yeah. suddenly walking so close and then going, oh, what is that? You know, and reacting. I wasn't at all fearful of, of, of the idea of him hunting me down or right. it wasn't that idea that was going through my head. It was just, so, oh, if he's that close, he, he'll suddenly get this my, a whiff of me and, and you know, it was only a, a, a cotton piece of cotton fabric between me and you know and him but but he he wasn't in you know wasn't interested in that it was just going to keep going he'd he'd eaten a lot of turtle i think he'd been mating actually down the beach so you know he was uh he was pretty much loved up and and full (laughs) and was uh, just sort of um you know walking spraying marking his territory and and going and and i i swear he would have sensed me but just didn't didn't care yeah i bet I've known people trying to film Jaguars over in Corcovado and had tried everything, you know, day and night, staking out on stretches of beach and then seen Jaguar footprints that have gone along the beach and stopped, uh, you know, 100 metres or more, 200, far enough for them to not be able to see the Jaguar, stopped, sensed where the hide is and the person gone right round the back and then rejoined the beach further up where they wouldn't see them. Well, that's what that would be the that would have been a situation like I had if yeah. that was a persecuted animal that did not want to be seen by humans. Yeah, yeah. So the whole idea that a jaguar has one of the greater bite pressures of all big cats on the planet didn't put you off in any way. <laughs> no, or didn't not really. No, you. I, I didn't. I didn't I'll think he was gonna, <laughs> I didn't think he was going to go there without in terms of me being prey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 um, yeah, like I said, it was more the accidental thing. Right, fair enough. Stumbling on, on me and, and then, you know, you don't, you don't really want to get overly close to an animal and, and, and then feel threatened and scared and not feel like have a way out. So that's, that's always, that was in my mind. But yes, it was, it was a great experience. Well, that's amazing. It really no, was. It, was, it was amazing. Like, it was amazing, sh- like, scene to watch. It really was really really tense uh there's all like if you go on on the internet there's so many different examples of 
really big cats um i've seen loads in america of like um mountain lions cougars um being like you'd see these big game hunters and they'd like um sit next to their their trophy or like the kill that they've made mm. and someone would take a picture and you'd see this big really big mountain lion in the background going like that with the green eye shine and everything they'd never notice that it's there or people yes. walking like down just down the street um in the northern parts of 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 uh america and then a minute later a mountain lion takes the same exactly the same path and people never know they're there it's yes. uh they're so stealthy it was, yes yeah. it is amazing that um uh, yeah i remember have, uh, that really um being very um i think it was a really sort of distilled moment for me many years ago when i was making a film in um kenya hmm. in a place called mount elgon and it was a story about um salt mining elephants that go into into a, a, a couple of caves there classic yeah i've seen elgon. that hmm. um and um it was quite early tech days for remote cameras, but we had remote cameras that were hard cabled back to a little side cave in one of the, so this was one of the main caves that elephants would visit, but it was very rare and ad hoc and difficult to predict. Hmm. But there was a very narrow path leading up to, to the cave entrance and, and the rest of the cave entrance. It was a big cave entrance, but it had been, um, the rest of it had been blocked with uh, a rock fall. So hmm. there was only one really, key way in which was a gift you know because you could put remote cameras there and and you knew that they weren't going to come in this huge mouth come up from the side in another direction they had to follow this path yeah but anyway i mean before we got any elephant action going on um we we got we got some amazing leopard footage and um yeah yeah and, and that that's another animal which you know, can live alongside humanity and you never see just this ghost-like creature that, you know, can can remain out of sight. And I remember watching watching its behaviour. And this was a cave that was visited by tourists and they'd get school party, local kids, school parties coming up and visiting. And we even, you know, got... <laughs> we even got a shot on one of these remote cameras of a guy urinating underneath in a little side <laughs> bit where we'd put the cameras urinating underneath where the camera was and not nice. knowing the camera was there, you know? Yeah. And so full of human scent, mm. even human urine scent. So, and this leopard was still happy to come in because he knew that there was no people in that cave at that moment. You know, wow. it was, it was dark. And so you've got all this stuff going on in the day with people coming in and then nightfall and, and, and we saw a shot of the leopard down the the path leading up to the cave, just standing, stock still, listening, just waiting. <laughs> that was it. Sent, you know, is there anything around? We were really tucked in a, a side cave, you know, a few hundred meters away. So, and down, you know, down a slope and everything. So couldn't have detected us in that yeah. situation. And, um, but the cameras were picking up this, all this behavior of just, just knowing, just, just this radar checking whether there was anything going on. And then, um, and then it just walked straight up and it didn't mind all the scent that would have been sent everywhere. Yeah. You know, or our, our scent of putting the cameras in and everything. But the fortunate thing was that, you know, again, it didn't mind because it knew there was no one actually there at that moment. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. 
eerie. It's really are ghosts, like you said. It's um, yeah. It's obviously they don't tend to go for humans all that much, especially like leopards and and jaguars and things like that. But then yeah. you hear um, stories of things like the ghost in the darkness, of real accounts of people having to deal with um, big cats and the stealthiness and. Is we're just so unequipped <laughs> compared to yes. Com- yes. compared to big cats. It's yeah, why, why they've been our nemesis for the last um, God knows how many hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, but the darkness uh, is uh, you know it's a much better uh, scenario for them than it is for us, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, us being sort of neurotic little sight-driven apes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're the baboons of the you know of the world, really. You know, and they need to sort of tuck ourselves away. Um, uh, from night predators yeah that's it yeah Yeah, big cats things that are far more equipped to deal with the darkness than us yes yeah but I suppose that's why we've got so much reverence for them as well they are amazingly beautiful and they are all of these adaptations and these specializations that they've had I mean like the tattoo that I've got on my on my trap is a Smilodon um, popular tour which is a saber-toothed tiger from the North Americas. And just I just love it because of how specialised saber cats were and how instead of the stealthiness that you've got with jaguars, uh, you had yes. a big cat that was essentially built like a bear to wrestle um, large megafauna down to the ground and then go straight for the windpipe after they've wrestled it. Yes. All, yeah, all these different variations and different nuances to big cats because we always just think as big cats as big good at night time but they've had loads of they've filled loads of different pockets that's that's yes. so cool yeah yeah exactly oh god imagine actually seeing a saber-toothed tiger if you could go back in time Couldn't see even. one in the flesh yeah it's um it's their behavior actually that's really interested me um because we've had accounts of um say old saber-toothed um cats um, having an injury like a broken leg or a broken rib or broken fangs, which would effectively make them unable to carry on. But mm. they still, they've shown um, that these breakages have had, they've healed over a long, long period of time and lived for many mm. years after, which mm. suggests that the cats lived in prides and were taken care of by the rest of the pride, which is really, really cool. Uh, behavior. Then. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, mm. very lion-like. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Because you always think they would—you'd assume they were probably quite solitary. Yes, wouldn't you? Yeah. Just, I don't know why. I would assume that, but I just would. I suppose it's a tiger in the in the title. Is, yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd say that. that. But yeah, um, yeah behaviourally, yes, not necessarily the case. That's and it. of course, they would have an amazing immune systems as well. I mean, the power of healing—you know—is incredible, yeah. isn't it? In the yeah, that's world. it. Um, especially yeah especially with what they had to deal with i suppose back then what they competed with like Mm. terror birds and like what what was the end of one megatherium giant ground sloths and things like that yes all of these things all everything was all in on competition with each other and um i didn't i don't i don't even know if early man was involved during that period i'm not sure at all but yeah they had loads of different competition but the work with tigers is especially fascinating, especially with um, like the corridor that, that was developed across the like 
Bhutan, like the the top of the mountain range. That was yes, yes, fascinating work as well. Large corridor between there and going into Myanmar, um, and then you know ultimately, ultimately, you know, you could connect up through Southeast Asia that Mm. way, Thailand and so on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Corridors are the future, really, for animals. You know, with dwindling um, habitat, um, Mm. creating everything so fragmented and. In all these countries, you know, Thailand's a good example that, that, you know, pretty much they've logged everything they can log that isn't in a protected area now. Um, yeah. So you've got these, all these fragments or pockets of, of um, national park uh, wildlands and, uh, mm. and, and it, you know, connecting everything up is, is the key thing now to um, create, you know, c- continue to have uh, genetic diversity and, and, um, and make it work better that's it These islands um you know you can't just can't just leave them as sort of se- um separate islands because it just well it doesn't work does it at all um, no that's it yeah it's a shitter, really with how <laughs> things have come um yeah we could talk about big cats all day to be fair but um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then they need a lot of space. And but you know, there is a lot of work being done on all that side of things and, and corridors are sort of the a big, you know, big buzz now. So mm. in place I've just was working in Borneo and yeah, it's there's a lot of you obviously there's miles and miles of oil palm plantation. I remember Gavin um uh, George, sorry, was uh, was talking about that, but um but there is now, you know, a real move to join up um and reforest certain areas and join things up. Mm. And there are corridors. I saw them, you know, back in February. I was there, and I, I saw saw the the areas sort of starting to be um, sort of brought wow. back. You know, and um, you saw these strips that were designated corridors. I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a tiny fraction of what was there, obviously, but it it's going, it's getting better rather than worse. You know, in that's in Sabah in northern Borneo. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it turned a corner, or to, are turning a corner. You know, and, and things are probably, you know, you're looking at a future where they're going to slowly expand their forests again. Um, right, I see. So, so, yeah, that's well, a just bit for, of good news. Yeah, no, it is excellent news. It really is excellent news. I mean, um, just for just <laughs> not trying to distract the subject at all. Uh, you know, the black uh, monitor that I can see just behind you on your right hand shoulder. Oh, yeah, I could occasionally see a man just walking around in his boxes, hidden in the reflection. That's my husband. <laughs> yeah, just for there's no there's no, there's no privacy here. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> no little box I can go in. I can see you're in the. You're yeah, in I'm in. I'm in my cupboard again. Yeah, I've got a poster up this time, which looks quite nice. <laughs> yeah, just to make oh, it nice. look. Yeah, just a bit more like my studio. Yeah. What is that? I can only see a bum and a tail. Is that a langur or a? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a baboon of some sorts. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, it's a baboon, isn't it? Yeah. Is it a baboon? Or yeah, is it a macaque? So. More actually, it, actually, it could be, could be a macaque. Now that I mention it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I can't really tell from here. But. <laughs> yeah but yeah what matters is the logo's on it so <laughs> okay yeah right. more reflections i'll angle over here so yeah that's it. Naked before you know it yeah well that was just, just for his um privacy <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't want this to go on youtube itunes and spotify and 
It's audio only, isn't it? Or you, you really, you know, you're, um... Yeah, we use the video too. It's um, uh, what I need to update my viewership on is that very soon we're going to be uploading all of these to YouTube as well. So oh, are you? Oh, yeah, right, okay. eventually okay. there will come a time where, um, as well as all the audio podcasts as well, I really want to have something that people can see. So I'm going to have, as soon as lockdown's finished and it's safe for people to meet, uh, we're going to be back in the studio talking with people face-to-face pretty much, which is going to be really good. Okay, and yeah. And we're going to film all of that too. So I can actually use some of my filmmaking expertise for something useful. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't realise. I would have probably pre- pre- slightly tried to prepare myself a bit better visually. <laughs> That's fine. No, it's absolutely fine. But yeah, sorry, where were we? Uh, Talking about corridors. Um, Yes, uh, the organisation that I work for that I can't say on here um, are working. They're essentially uh, campaigning against Tesco's uh, because Tesco's are using this huge, um, like this huge multi, like multinational corporation called JBS, which. Is essentially buying land from Bolsonaro's regime in the Amazon rainforest and using it for cattle and soy and yeah. then selling this unethically sourced fresh virgin rainforest land to Tesco. Um, it was essentially directly contributing to deforestation in the Amazon directly, rainforest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and essentially we're just campaigning for Tesco to change, his, change their, um, their supplier. But... Mm-hmm. Um, they're directly like Bolsonaro's regime obviously are directly cutting through virgin rainforests on on a scale that is really that was unimaginable 10 years ago Mm. it really was and it's like what you what you were talking about with these corridors it seems like that these are the only real viable way to keep these huge areas of rainforest connected still Mm. yeah so the like you you were talking about the gene pool actually has some diversity in it mm. yeah which yeah. is which is really sad and i'm not sure what we can do about um people about people like bolsonaro except for target their wallets pretty much and really cause a stink about it i mean in your experience yeah yeah exactly yeah. i mean you know i i think um that um publicizing how much power people have with their wallet is is key you know we we create you know we complain about the monsters in the world or these mm. huge multinational companies and you know amazon and so on and so forth but then people will say yes but it's so convenient because you get them within 24 hours guaranteed you'll get your things and it's like well you make your choices and you have power you yeah. have a lot of power because they only exist because people pay their money yeah to them and um so we, you know, we all of us, we need to decide where we want to spend our money and what future we want. And every time we do spend our money, we've thought about it, thought it through, you know. Yeah. And it's not just a knee-jerk, I need it, I need it now, you know. Do you need it or do you want it? Do that's you want it. it now? There's a difference. That is it. That's yeah. very true. Yeah. And that's, um, that's why this whole uh, palm oil subject really blew up as well. I mean, yes. palm oil is obviously in everything. Uh, it's in shampoo, for for God's sake. But um, mm. yeah, it did come to um, you know, part, the whole subject of palm oil came up for me. I think about four years ago or so, and just 
you know, do you do you want it or do you need it? Or can you find a different substitute that doesn't use mm. palm oil? Or do you, mm. can you find something that still has palm oil in it, but is sourced res- responsibly from recycled land instead of deliberately chopping down rainforest for new groves mm. and things like that? And I remember, again, uh, we keep going back to the Lost Land series, um, wandering into palm oil plantations and just, um, like I was saying with George, um, just the stark difference between the rainforest and the palm oil in the noise. It was just a few crickets. And like George said, a couple of snakes and that was it. There was no rats. Yeah. Snakes and rats. There was no deafening cacophony of birds in the canopies and um, no no frogs, no no like real like cicadas or anything like that. It's, um, it's, 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 um, people are aware of that now. Yes, they are. I mean, it's difficult to describe unless you've actually experienced it. Mm. You know, the, the vitality of life that you experience in a piece of tropical forest. Um, and when you go to a place like Borneo and you're in the middle of that and then you drive out and you go back through the endless palm oil plantations, mm. it's so hard to get your head around. I mean, it, you know, that that all those things. So I'd be film, you know, I'll be filming, you know, not just there's this myriad of insect life, plant life, but the big significant animals, you know, the orangutans and the gibbons and the macaques. And, and then you just think, Oh my God, you know, what happened to them all? Yeah. They just died away. Mm. And it's, it's truly shocking. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, put like that you sort of you just say how 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 does this happen you know it's it's almost impossible to to rationalize Mm. when you when you experience those two things side by side like that yeah um but you know out of sight and out of mind you know most people don't they don't think about the the true reality of that and the products they're buying and what that means yeah but you know i mean the situation in borneo not to keep talking specifically about Borneo but mm. it 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 is a bit more complex than what's happening in Brazil right now in in that a lot of these areas were already cleared the dark days has already happened with rubber and tobacco thanks right. to the British who cleared vast areas of northern Borneo for um firstly for timber mm-hmm. that that was just a rape and pillage scenario right. And then it was tobacco and rubber, and then oil palm has taken over that from that. So, so in a, in a lot of these places, there has been deforestation as well, but you have to go back further in time to see the truth of a lot of it. Um, right. And so, yeah, it's a little bit more complex than, and so also that makes it slightly difficult if you're a British person turning up and saying, oh, you know it's terrible what you're doing to your forests and all this deforestation when mm. you when you have to you know look into the history of it and say well thanks to the brits and, and um the empire mm. we did the lion's share of the damage there i've got to admit i'm really ignorant to that to be fair i really need to do some reading um no i, d- I didn't know that the that we uh, used it for tobacco and um and rubber mm. let alone the timber because i mean 
the timber's used everywhere, I suppose. You deforest the land to raise soy and cattle, you're going to use the timber anyway. Mm. But yeah, no, I, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know any of that. I really need to do some reading. No, it's crazy. So mm. I'd imagine that was would have been around the time of the the great British Empire's conquest of the far-flung places of the world. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's mm-hmm. no, crazy. There's a long history there. Um, yeah of exploitation basically yeah yeah. Um, and so it's kind of followed on from that point and um so you have to be sensitive to that um when you when you talk about it to people Mm. and also malaysia um palm oil has been an economic miracle for them you Mm. know because there were a lot of cooperatives that were set up um at which raised people you know they people set up their own smaller plantations and then deposited it, it, the uh, produced into the co- the cooperative mm. and it's, it raised countless people out of poverty um so you have to yeah, really yeah. Think quite carefully through the subject and um and see a positive solution that that can go forward from now you know um what you want to avoid is the the sort of lawless expansion you know the actual direct deforestation that's happening now clearing areas for, for those plantations yeah um but there is a difference between that and the land that's being used and has been used since the 1950s or whatever um you know that 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 is there's a very different scenario and also it's one where you you do need to look at positive solutions like like the corridors and how you can be um joined up better and maybe the scale of it reduced and becoming more of a mosaic. Yeah. Yeah. Just desert, you know? Yeah. That's it. That is it to be fair. And a a lot, a lot of people um, consider the human element that gets mixed into deforestation as well. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of indigenous people live directly inside these virgin rainforests around Mm. the world. And a lot of people forget that, that they've been living there for, hundreds of thousands of years quite peacefully and then all of a sudden someone with a big bulldozer says this is our land uh, you can't live here anymore and they've got no representation at all no hunter gatherers always been on the sharp end of it haven't they yeah when it comes to more advanced societies that's it which i'm which i'm seeing a lot of in the amazon rainforest yes yeah it's it's as you say, you know, 10 years ago, you'd think, well, we're only going to, it's only going to get better, you mm. know, can't get worse. You know, people are more aware and everything. We seem to have just descended into this, you know, this populist culture mm. across the world, which, um, which I don't think, well, I certainly didn't predict. I didn't think, <laughs> I yeah. think all of us were slightly reeling from the reality of it, you know, thinking, oh, surely, surely that won't happen. And it happened, you know various yeah. election results and referendums and various things that's happened and we're all just like oh no i mean surely that won't happen oh yeah. it did oh and that happened as well and the rise of populism is extraordinary and yeah. that goes hand in hand with just um immediacy and taking what you want and what you know that's it yeah there's a there's a bad habit on this podcast of really delving into really really gloomy end worlding scenarios so we'll move on to something that is uh probably a bit more cheery so what are you working on you were just saying that you were 
that you were just filming not too long ago? Oh, well, um, that's the thing I was filming um, in uh, Borneo, well, just before lockdown actually, was um, for a BBC series called Edens. And it's looking at um, some various um, locations around the world where, Mm. you know, it's a real sort of biodiversity hotspot and... Mm. um, Danham, Danham Valley in Borneo is one of the um, one of the places. I mean, it's it's not just Danham Valley. It's it's born in northern Borneo. They're focusing on as as one of these Edens. Right. But, um, we did a lot of filming in Danham Valley, which is a national one of the older national parks um, in that neck of the woods, and yeah. is an amazing place. Absolutely stunning place. Yeah. What kind of um, ecosystem are we talking about here? Um, it's. Um, it's a it's a mixture of sort of it's it's rolling hills it's it's essentially i mean as the name mm. suggests is a big valley yeah it's got a, a large river running through it and um and then quite steep hilly mountainous areas running through it as well so quite quite a mixture it's not it's not lowland um tropical forest though yeah you know more montane forest yeah um and it's um, dominated by um, two very distinct tree types. There's diptocarps, right? Which are diptocarps are they're commonly known as Maranti in the timber industry, or it's got various other names. Um, but it's a sought-after timber okay. uh, tree. Um, anyway, it's it's uh, you know it's dominated by diptocarp, which are big emergent trees. And um, and mangaris trees, which are these amazing, like look like mystical trees. They've got very white trunks and they're huge, right. um, and not very good for timber. So they tend to be, you know, in areas which are secondary forests, for example, they tend to still be standing. So it makes them look even bigger. But they right. are quite amazing. Um, and bees love to nest in them as well. Are they um, anything like right. baobabs? They're sort of. Yeah, I mean they're not they haven't got the same structure internally as a bear bab, but they mm. yeah, they are sort of eye catching in that same way. But just think of a very sort of white, pale white tree that's just immense. Okay, yeah. A super sized tree and that's sort of towering above everything else. Um a bit sort of avatar really. Oh, you know, cool. Um and um and and the diptocarps, um there are many species, but um there is there is the tallest known tree in the world is um, is actually found in Danham Valley. Wow! Which they discovered you know not that long ago actually, and it's over a hundred meters high. Can you imagine? That's insane. Yeah, <laughs> hundred meter tall tree. Yes. Wow! It's that's... the largest that's been recorded. Um, I'm you know maybe there are more, but I, you know they probably are it's probably going to be in that part of the world that they'll be found. Yeah. 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 How, how old is it? Is a hundred meter tree? Um, I don't know. I mean, it would necessarily, I mean, I think, I think actually they, they, they think they may be the oldest tree um, in, in the, the trop, known tropics right. um, in, in that area as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't, I don't know if this height would, definitely sort of suggest that it's it's extremely old but you know i'm sure it's pretty old a few hundred years i don't know i'm not i would say i'd be yeah yeah time out 
So uh, what kind of uh, animal species would live in this said valley then? I don't want to pry too much from it because I know that it's a production, it's an ongoing production, so I imagine you can't talk too much about it. Um, No, you know, you can't, you know, until things are broadcast, it's a little bit difficult to say too much. But um, in Dunham Valley, um, there is all, you know, it's, it's, it's got, it's got a bit of everything that you would expect us to find in in um, mm. jungle. Um, cool. It's got a good population of orangutans and um, northern Bornean gibbons, mm-hmm. um, which is a distinct species. And um, it's got long-tailed and, and short-tailed macaques. And it's got uh, red-leaf monkeys and yeah. sun bears. Which oh, cool. Sun bears are there. Um, Oh, I mean, there's a whole a range of, I mean, wild pigs, um, just, uh, millions of other things, <laughs> insects, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, insects, snakes. Born in rainforest, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, huge, a huge amount of uh, of life going on. Um, yeah, flying squirrels, lots of different types of flying squirrels. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's just so much going on all the time. Is oh, I might be completely wrong saying this. Is uh, a Kalugo from Borneo? Yes. Yeah. Do you get them as well in this part of the valley? Um, you get Kalugos there. Yes. Oh, brilliant! I love Kalugos. They're so peculiar. They are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, they're yes. so cool. <laughs> yeah, amazing camouflage on them as well. Yeah, they just blend. They just go like i don't know how many meters maybe like 100 meters through the canopy in a big gliding yes. swoop and then just become the tree <laughs> yes yeah yeah oh, fascinating really yes. fascinating and there's a lot of gliders there you know so it's just because i suppose these amazing um the tall trees um that they, they've evolved a lot of things have evolved to use the height to 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 glide so you've got yeah. um snakes that can glide they can just flat flatten their um, bodies to to get get a bit of lift or not we'll just slow their descent i guess yeah, so not, yeah. they're not really flying but they're um they're able to sort of travel a bit of distance That's in it. the air and um, ribbon snake um, or something isn't it and uh um and lizards the same you get flying flying lizards yeah so it's um yeah a lot of things kind of just gliding around the place <laughs> that's amazing that's so cool it's a you mentioned gibbons i've always been fascinated with gibbons um like I'm, I'm not really a fan of zoos these days but it was a zoo that introduced me to a gibbon and their really distinctive call and then i found out that um they have like a ball and socket joint on their wrist is it rotate all the way around yes yeah, yeah. That's fascinating as well. So, yes. like, if you've, if for anyone that's listening, uh, gibbons have just got a dexterity in the trees, unlike any other, um, any other ape, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah. I can, I can think of. They really are so quick. They, they can fling themselves and use the momentum from such a, a short distance to catapult themselves to a different tree. And yeah, yes. I, I imagine as a, as a canopy specialist, you've had loads and loads of encounters with gibbons. Yeah. One of my favorite animals yeah. of all time. They are amazing and they're so beautiful to watch. I mean, they go at such speed, mm. so they're very hard to film. Um, but you know, filming them in the wild is a joy. 
um, especially if you're at the right, you're up in the canopy and you're at the right height and you, you know, and you've got a good view across the treetops and you see them they're doing a mixture of brachiating and then running like crazy running on, you know, bipedally with their skinny little legs with yeah. their arms out, like, you know, <laughs> um, just charging along the top of a, a, a branch that's up at sort of 40 meters in the air and then leaping mm. into thin air and then falling and grabbing another branch from another tree. It's, it's just spectacular, but also uh, they're so relatable because they live in small nuclear family groups. Hmm. Uh, you really do have mum, dad and the kids and their personalities are very distinct. So, you know, you really can, if you are able to watch them for any length of time. And I, I mean, I had the, the, the luck of working on a film where we tried to just make a very character led story about Gibbon purely filmed in the wild. Hmm. And, um, and I really did get to know uh, individuals from two families, Group A and Group C, they were called. Mm. So they all had names beginning with A, yeah. A and C in the C group. And um, A, uh, this was in Thailand. And, um, and and it was just lovely to, to just see how the, the mum and dad or the parents sort of interacted with their kids the, and, and the playing that went on. So much playing and tactile behaviour. Um, mm and joy you know they really did seem to do things for fun teasing each other rolling around on the tops of the trees pretending to sort of fall and then grabbing at the last minute and just so much um yeah so much emotion going yeah. on and then uh, you know seeing some one of them got injured once uh, one day i mean he went on for a few weeks where he couldn't use one of his arms and mm just how sorry he felt he looked about about the situation how he just really could sense this sort of sadness and really miserable mm. and but you know he bounced back in the end and and was fine but you know it was just all these stuff and also how they are with the neighbors because so they live in little small territories yeah and each territory overlaps the neighbors or maybe multiple in a, in a purely you know in a proper undisrupted piece of forest you'll get just pack, you know, these territories will just over, be overlapping in all sides with all these other territories of gibbons. And they, um, the, the singing, it's, you know, it's very much a, a bonding thing with the, with the male and female, but it's also is just shouting out to the neighbors as well. <laughs> and they will have these, these, they have these um, encounters um, in these overlap areas which is a, a time for getting a bit feisty and chasing each other around. But also you'll see members from the different families hanging out with each other. And there are sneaky matings that can go on, <laughs> like little, you know, affairs oh, that, that can happen in all of this as well. So, so they are essentially quite monogamous, but, you know, a bit like humans, uh, not, not, uh, not always. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of crossovers. And, uh, and they're very funny. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. Oh, I'm so jealous. One day, one day I'll see. <laughs> unless the fucking rainforest gets felled before then. Yeah, I, I definitely will want to see them in the wild one day. But um, yeah, it's like apes and, and different uh, prime apes and, and mammals, especially. I just, there's such a, there's such a, con like a connection there. There's really something kinetic when you see your like your recordings of them for example because 
like you were saying, they've just got that human quality of having families and mm. having social hierarchies that we can just relate to all over and not necessarily being monogamous, which is really a human quality as well. But uh, no, that's it's, oh, it's really lovely. Mate. One day, one day I'll get there. But yes. uh, yeah, well, I hope you do because it's a joy to behold, you know, being in a, in a forest with gibbons. Yeah. Waking up and hearing that dawn chorus and they see, you know, just hear them in different parts all around you. Some very far away, some very close, duetting. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we it's... had a magical moment on one of the expeditions. Actually, it was Expedition Borneo. Oh, yeah. Um, Steve Batchel and I and the um, Tim Fogg, who's the climbing expert, mm. um, we managed to um, get uh, get permission. And this wasn't being filmed or anything. Probably now you wouldn't get away with not filming this. But we managed to skip off one evening mm. and um, from camp. And we sort of, do you mind if we go, because we wanted to bivouac up a tree, up one of these massive trees. Right. And, um, and Tim was up for it. So, um, so we were using these, they're like huge hammocks, like tree boats, they're called. They're yeah. Huge hammocks that you can hang in the canopy between two branches. And uh, so we snuck off um, for the night to, to climb up and sleep up there one oh, night. That's so cool. And yeah, and, and I woke up just in that sort of just before dawn and just this sort of grayness start just starting to get light and looked over the edge and it was just this drop <laughs> beneath me and then the gibbon started singing and uh and the dawn chorus of bird song and it was just and this mist was all around us and we were up like 35 meters or something on the top yeah. of us huge tree and it was it was amazing that's magical uh, aside from the height bit which i'd hate um that sounds absolutely amazing i think yeah. gibbons are one of three different species i'd love to hear of ape species that i'd love to hear in the wild it's gibbons um howler monkeys and the injury from madagascar oh yeah uh, mm -hmm. yeah i'd love to hear all of their vocalizations it sounds magical and eerie and especially yeah. a howler monkey with the recordings i've heard anyway from doing animal audio work just this weird groaning like roar from the deep from the from the forest it guttural it's really hard to to imitate bassy so yeah so bassy so guttural it's mm. it's extraordinary because actually they are really tiny yeah you think they're quite big because then they got because they got their slightly grumpy faces and they're quite chunky. Gels, yeah. They're tiny, yeah. tiny things. I have got actually another lovely little story about about howler monkeys. And this was um, this was in <laughs> in Costa Rica, in northern the Pacific coast of Costa Rica, and we were making a film there, um, in an area which was in Santa Rosa National Park, but it was in an area which is you have to have special permission to go into because you have to walk. You can only access on foot. You have to walk over a, a ridge and then down into this, this separated valley, which has its own beach, um, which is quite an important uh, olive ridley turtle nesting site. And then you've got this sort of cut off bit of forest behind the beach with, you know, ridges either side and all around the back. So it's, it's like a little sort of separate little Eden. <laughs> and there was a, a, a water hole there. And, um, I, um, I had a little tree mount and, um, 
we wanted to see what was coming into the waterhole, essentially, sort of down below, maybe tapirs and things like that. So hmm. um, I had the idea that was I'd just climb the tree and it wasn't a particularly big tree. So, and we didn't want to go to the effort of like putting up a whole tree platform or anything. So I climbed, I climbed up early in the morning and just sat on a branch with my back against the trunk of the tree up above this water hole with the, with the camera mount, with the camera pointing down to, to, to the water hole, just to, yeah. to film what would from above with my scent out of the way and everything, see what would come in. And, um, the sort of day went on and it was sort of middle of the day, very hot and I was feeling quite sleepy and a whole troop of cowler monkeys came into the tree that I was in and they all just sort of sat around me um, <laughs> doing feeding and, and the kids were little babies were all playing and, and then the adults all went to sleep. Literally, I could have re- reached out and touched them. They wow. were just all around me and I, and I just thought, oh God, I feel quite sleepy. And I couldn't film them because I had no angles that I could get to, you know, I tried and I did a couple of shots, but it was almost impossible. So I just thought, oh, I'll have a little snooze. Yeah. So we all had a little snooze in the tree together. <laughs> and, um, and, the, and the babies were all playing, you know, they didn't go to sleep. They were all sort of just minding, you know, playing and everything. And all the adults were all snoozing and I was snoozing, you know, for half an hour or so. Yeah. And we all woke up and like, mm, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Became a howler monkey for a day. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Honorary howler monkey. Yeah. Well, you do spend half your life in the trees. So, yeah, it's a good start, isn't it? But, yeah, uh, yeah um, before, I, before I forget, uh, that's amazing. We were talking um, outside of the podcast about this series you're working on called Queens. Now, mm. for the longest time... Um, the the reason why I wanted you on the podcast to begin with is because uh, the way I described you to my teammates and the people that know about the industry is that I would say, and you don't have to agree with me, that you're a bit of a, a firebrand when it ter- in in terms of uh, women camera like camera women essentially within the like the natural world, um, you know, recording the natural world essentially um yes uh, like it's your work really that really stands out more than everyone else and your like your bibliography of your work is is really outstanding to be fair i don't mean to like (laughs) kiss your backside too much but it's (laughs) it's really 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 good um and i'm really really stoked to hear what you are going to talk about now which is uh queens which is focuses more or less on strong female um, roles in that, yeah roles in within world. the natural world yeah yes what can so you tell me about um, that yeah it's a six six one hours and i can talk a little bit about it because it's all out in the public domain anyway about cool. the essential you know details of it which is you know six one hour very blue chip very you know um so they're very sort of behaviorally led um stories hmm. single species stories um for national geographic and um so hmm. so they they are yeah, they're all standalone pieces. There's one on elephants. There's one on hyenas. Hmm. Um, you know, they're very strong matriarchal stories. Um, and yeah. on hyenas, there's going to be lions within that story as well. But it's essentially about um, hyena, female clan society. Obviously, the elephant story is the is the really classic one as well. Yeah. Um, and we have gelada baboons. And that's going to be with Ethiopian wolves together. Right. Um, oh, Ethiopian wolves are beautiful. Yes, yes. 
it was good. I mean, very beautiful, um, very visual, that one. Um, and then one on insects, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, which will be covering um, a, f- a few different things. Um, uh, we'll be doing leaf cutter ants and, and there'll be orchid bees amongst other things, but just the female driven nature of insects. Um, and there's, uh, there's one on orcas, which is also is orcas and, and, and bears and sort of sharing. So it's like a coastal story, but it's looking at orca female behavior and bear female behavior. I mean, the bears yeah, yeah. Sort of came in because orcas are just very challenging. If you're mm. trying to also, it's got to be very sort of personality behaviorally led. And so, you know, we thought it would be difficult to have a whole film just trying to get that kind of behavior. Yeah. Um, and finally, bonobos, um, right. which is amazing, a very, you know, just a very fascinating story, really, because um, I suppose for me, it, chimps and bonobos are like the yin and yang of humanity, you know, that, that, that we seem to be reflected in, in both of them. Yeah, um, more so than chimps, I think, I would yeah, say. Yeah, well, yeah, but I think, I think there's, that we can be both. Hmm. and um but we we seem to 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 admire the traits of the chimpanzee are are we admire our aggressive side more than Hmm. we admire the cooperation side celebrate it more i suppose yeah the power you know our classic heroes of you know basically warmongers aren't they yeah they are a bit (laughs) around london and god knows where but you know it's you know that we celebrate the, the sort of male paternal power more yeah. than we celebrate the the um softer cooperative um power and yeah. so the series is looking at leadership um and how it can take different forms and so you know through the eyes of sort of strong female societies mm. in the natural world um yeah, 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 so bonobos are particularly fascinating, I suppose, because we're so closely related, but also because they're the way that they they deal with, um, you know, with a chimp and, and neighbours, for example, that would be a huge conflict. Mm. Whereas in bonobo society, it's actually a chance to to meet and spend time together, right? Um, and socialise, and maybe the sons can find a partner, and all these sorts of things, you know. Um, yeah, which I yeah. find far more relatable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but so that that's the body of the series. But alongside of that, um, we have other ambitions. Um, I mean, firstly, we are we've got two uh, camera women that we're bringing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, they will be t- uh, so Tanya Escobar and Erin um, uh, Rainey. And mm-hmm. um, they will be um, hopefully by the end of the series sort of brought onto a very high level of, of cinematography. Yeah. And um, that will sort of, you know, that's two more uh, yeah. women in, in, in working, you know, at, at a top level in the industry. That's, that's one ambition. Um, and it's also then um, involving other women within, within the teams um, in, in the field that giving, giving opportunities where they wouldn't necessarily have them. Um, and, and then, and then a kind of, um, companion film, which will be very much behind the scenes of some of the women that are working in, in conservation, 
and environmental subject matter, which are, you know, against the odds often, you know, in, in places like Africa. Yeah. Where it's very difficult for women to, to be independent like that mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, so, so there's that side of it as well. So, you know, that film would, would, would can tell all sorts of stories that we wouldn't be able to tell, obviously, in the, in the main film uh, of, you know, trailblazing women, of which there are many yes. know, around the world. Um, and also a legacy, you know, we, we, there's all sorts of other things. Um, we are um, hoping to do um, sort of leave behind camera systems um, with existing uh, media outlets in, in some of these countries. Hmm. So there will, be, there will be some sort of legacy that, 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 that enabling um, countries to bring on their own talent. Um, and so that there are more, I mean, this has become very apparent, you know, with the whole COVID thing, mm-hmm. with crews not being able to go out to some of these countries, that, that in a lot of the places, there aren't, there aren't people within the country to actually do any filming at a high level. Mm-hmm. And in the future, it would be great if, if there were more. It wasn't just that people had to come from another country to film. Not that I want yeah. to do my job out of job here, but you know, <laughs> but, that there was an element of that, but it wasn't the only um, solution or there wasn't the only um, talent that you could use and that it, it, would, it would feel a little less colonial, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I do understand that. I, I do understand that. It's, um, mm. No, it sounds amazing. I really can't wait to see it. I mean, it's been such a... As far as I'm aware, it's been such a male-dominated um, work environment for the last yeah. however long we've been doing it uh since oh god all the way back since before zoo quest before all of that you never really saw women behind the cameras at all there was hardly any female representation within that industry whatsoever no 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 and it's still you know there's still quite quite a few really yeah considering you know the percentage of women in natural history filmmaking in in the actual kind of camera side of it there's it's, there's an increasing number in production which is mm. which is good to see many more producers are female now but in the technical sides there's no. still very few yeah you know, actually out there in the field and doing the doing the legwork um, yeah, yeah yeah it's not it's not there's not many at all and yeah it's it's i thought it would have changed a lot more than it has you know, since I was starting out, but it hasn't really. Not mm. massively. Well, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully, this um, this documentary is uh, the series is going to really bust that open. Mm. I really, yeah, no. It's it sounds really, really good, especially with the examples of different um, female hierarchical animals that we've got that you talked about because i remember i know the like the the matriarchal um society that hyenas live in i really like where you've got the the dominant female that is so overwhelmingly dominant with loads of different powerful almost male um genitalia yeah genitalia (laughs) yeah it's like a faux or faux penis and faux testes and things like that well, I think they're they're changing the, the they want like, scientifically they want to change the uh, the description of that from a from from a yeah. pseudo penis is the common that's term, it. isn't it? Yeah, so I'll turn it into I think it was talking about something like a mega vagina. <laughs> 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 I'm 
something slightly, um, yeah, more of a female description than, than, a, than a male description, which I think is quite... Funny. Oh, that's cracking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know how anyone reading those scientific papers would not crack up with that, but um, <laughs> uh, no, that's brilliant. <laughs> but, yeah but they're um, fascinating yes yeah it's, um I, I i think i asked on the emails that we're talking about if um naked mole rats were going to make an appearance but well yeah maybe no, not. They, they were talked about okay but Fair enough. Um, there was talking yeah i was talking about so maybe doing something with them and elephants you know as a sort of contrast yeah but um but they decided just to stick purely with with elephants and that it would be difficult to do those two together but yeah it was it was discussed that's fair well as long as they were considered i think yeah they were they were in the running (laughs) yeah i think the the hive like the insect hiveness of a of the naked mole rats um society is really really fascinating yes but um the matriarch of like an elephant herd that's something altogether like something that i could understand as a human being it's almost like the grandmother of the of the herd and how she withholds all this really vital information that contributes yes. to the survival of the herd as a general and how much of a pivotal role the grandmother or great grandmother in some time sometimes really yes. plays. It's lovely. It's really nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um a celebration of, of wisdom, isn't it? Yeah. And um and how it's a crucial you know, it's crucial for them because it's acquired knowledge and and it's the same for us you know um acquired knowledge over over a lifetime is so important for young people to you know i mean i think our society is sort of straying away from that now i agree yeah it's it's something we don't value as much nearly as much anymore like talk listening to the elders tales of wisdom and the different stories and things and you know Mm. it's it's so easy to forget as a as a human in our weird human busy lives, which is so different to everything else that lives on the planet, that yes. there are people out there that are 80, 90, 100 years old that have so much experience and information from just being a human that we could all like this. It's like it's gold, isn't it? It's we there's so much value in these people. And quite often they're forgotten and marginalized, which is which is really yeah yeah yeah. it's true Uh, and i think i think um yeah we need to reevaluate that really because it's um yeah there is there's so much to be gained from 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 everyone from all generations sharing experiences and knowledge isn't there and and young uh, younger generations being guided and and you know obviously learning for themselves and making their own mistakes but having some sort of you know just just some sort of guide life guide yeah with people who are older but um yeah so it's, it's really interesting to see um elephant society in that way and um and and it's an essential um structure you know yeah they they can't function without it really very effectively you That's see where, when a matriarch is is poached you know the disruption happens when they've yeah. got a, you know, a leaderless herd mm knowing how to when to move and where to find water and you know yeah it's it's an incredible it's an incredible thing is there something moving don't they they need space and they need to keep moving yeah Um, and um that nomads 
extensive knowledge of, of a, a very large landscape and mm. incredible memory. Mm. That's it, which is all held in this grandmother's head, pretty much. Yes. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's absolutely fascinating. Is this um, like this poaching aspect is something that you're going to um, focus in on on in the series? Um, not so much. I think it is going to be a very it's 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 a very um, behaviorally led story about personalities. So it's not, it's okay. not going to, you know, within the companion film and, and other media that we, we can, we can go into all those subjects, but it's not going to be within the main body of, of the film, the elephant film. Okay. Uh, it's very much just looking at um, the characters behind this, this uh, leadership role. That's brilliant. Well, all the generations. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds amazing. Like yeah. um, the, the passing down of the torch essentially. Exactly. To the, to the yes. next female in the line. That's yes. really, that's really cool. And the early learning stages with the, with the calf um, folking, but it very personality led. Yeah. So it's going to be, you know, we have quite a long time for the production um, and quite a long time and long time in the field. So, um, right. you know, we should be able to tease out that personality side of things. That's yeah. cool. Uh, have you got any kind of uh, dates Obviously, you won't have a specific date, but have you got any kind of idea what year this this might come out? Um, I think it's um, late to 2022. Okay. Um, probably, well, I, I think that will be um, editing, so probably 2023 in terms of broadcasting. Yeah. This sounds like ages away, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, flyby. Time is a plan. Yeah. That will flyby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant thank you so much justine for coming on the podcast i really do appreciate it that was a really really cool chat i love talking about big cats any excuse to talk about big cats pretty much but uh yeah that was that was really really cool um if you want to follow what justine is up to uh justine has an active um, instagram account so follow justine evans on that and also you can check out all the work that she's been um you know all of the different productions that she's been involved in over over the last couple of decades which includes planet earth life uh, the lost land of the tiger the the dark um all of these things um yeah she's been a real cornerstone in so do, do check them out they're really really cool thank you guys so much for listening um if you guys want to help the podcast in any way please like and subscribe share it um if you think other people are going to be interested um but yeah or leave a review if you can leave a review anywhere like itunes or facebook or anything like that but yeah just interact with the podcast and tell people about it <laughs> pretty much uh, yeah that's how these things uh, sort of work i suppose but yeah thank you guys so much for for coming back and, and listening to another um episode of me pretty much talking to people much cooler than me and a lot more uh <laughs> <laughs> a lot more um uh interesting and yeah um worldly traveled i suppose but no it's been it's been really really cool i've been really enjoying these um these they're not really interviews i suppose they're like friendly chats i suppose aren't they about the natural world that's how i describe them to my mates anyway but uh it's been really really cool thank you so, thank you so much guys for your input and also, I just wanted to say uh, thank you guys for your patience. Um, some of you might know that I've been 
in hospital for a little while and that's why there was such a, a large gap between the last episode and this one coming out. Um, just had uh, what the doctor suspected to be gallstones but uh, I need a few more blood tests it seems but yeah that's the reason why there was a bit of bit of a break but I'm all good now I'm all home and I'm back to recording uh, podcast episodes and I'm working on the next few I suppose yeah I've got quite a lot lot to edit but uh, yeah all, all's well but uh, I will see you next time stay safe